Biathlon is a unique Olympic event. It challenges participants with opposing athletic endeavors in a singular competition. It combines the heart-pumping aerobic aspects of cross-country skiing matched with the intense focus of precision marksmanship. Two diametrically opposing forces testing every ounce of physical and mental strength of athletes. Welcome back to Season 3 of Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. With each episode, Heartbeat brings you insights into this fascinating sport. This month, the sport of biathlon marks a milestone as longtime leader Max Cobb moves on from over three decades at U.S. Biathlon to take on the leadership role of the International Biathlon Union as its new Secretary General. Since his humble beginnings as a young man with a passion who joined U.S. Biathlon in 1989 to run a domestic race series, Max Cobb has become a role model for sport-governing body leadership, highly respected by his peers. He's battled global forces to fight doping. He's negotiated innovative agreements with sponsors by finding common ground. He's never been bashful to take on international leaders to protect ethics. But two common threads ran through everything that he did. First and foremost, his career was hallmarked by a top-line motivation of supporting athletes. And secondly, and maybe even more importantly, no matter how deep the issue, he always did it with a spirit of positivity. In typical Max Cobb fashion, he took time on his departure day for the trip to his new working home in Salzburg to speak with Heartbeat. It's an interview filled with memories and enriched with the emotion of his final day at U.S. Biathlon. This was one of our very best heartbeat interviews. And whether you're an athlete, coach, parent, fan, or leader of an Olympic sport program, you'll take something valuable away from this heartfelt discussion with Max Cobb. Now, without further ado, let's join Max Cobb from his Vermont home as he shares reflections of the past while all the time looking to the future. It is a beautiful fall morning in Vermont. Max Cobb is sitting there at home. Your bags are packed. You're ready to go. I can't believe you're spending your last morning in the U.S. before you head off to your new role with the IBU talking to us on Heartbeat. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely, Tom. Pleasure. Today is my last official day as president and CEO of U.S. Biathlon, so feels right to be speaking with you this morning. Well, it, uh, it it's been a it's been a great run for you, and we're all excited in uh, you taking on your new role. I want you to just give us uh, at the start a little intro to your new role. We're going to come back to it in more detail, but for those who may not have followed it, uh, you began your career with U.S. Biathlon way back in 1989, and today you're heading off to uh, take on a new job with the International Biathlon Union. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'll be the Secretary General, which is equivalent to the CEO. It is a position that I never thought that I would have um, and really came about because our beloved Secretary General, Nicholas Carlson, uh, who came from alpine skiing, got hired away by the FIS. So opportunity opened up this summer and a couple of executive board members asked me to apply and 
I guess it all worked out. So and the rest <laughs> looking, will be looking history. Forward to it. <laughs> well, we're going to come back to a lot of the uh, uh, elements of that role that uh, you're embarking on. But let's go back to your tenure with U.S. Biathlon. We talked about this when we had you on Heartbeat a couple of years ago. Uh, but you you really have a long history uh, following your career at Dartmouth. You went to U.S. Biathlon, and that was back around 1989. Give us a little quick rundown on on what transpired and how you ended up at U.S. Biathlon. Yeah, I'd, I'd been involved with biathlon at the Dartmouth Biathlon Club, and John Morton is a two-time Olympic biathlete, was the coach of the Dartmouth ski team, and so it was a great opportunity to try the sport. I actually, my first training camp was uh, in October in Lake Placid in 1983, so uh, <laughs> going back a ways, <laughs> 39 years. And, uh, you know, just as I do today, I love the people who are involved in, in biathlon, and we really had a nice, a nice group there doing it. I became eventually the president of the Dartmouth Biathlon Club. I also was a guide for Joe Walsh, a Nordic skier uh, who uh, has a visual impairment and is legally blind. And we, we raced together at the World Championships for the Disabled, as it was called then, in 1986, and then the Paralympics in 1988. I really didn't expect to continue in biathlon after I graduated, but some friends of mine who were on the national team gave me a call when a job opened up to be the domestic race series coordinator. And uh, before I knew it, Jed Williamson was hiring me over the radio telephone from Hurricane Island Outward Bound School. And I started September 15th, 1989. And uh, my first job was to run the domestic race series, which included putting on the, the trials events. I loaded up a van full of targets and uh, drove out to West Yellowstone, stopping along the way at the sites where we were going to be hosting races that year. You know, Tom, at that time, there really weren't very many dedicated biathlon ranges. And so most of the places we would go to hold races, we would bring the targets with us and set up a range. And I can remember uh, going to Lone Mountain Ranch in Big Sky, which is a beautiful place, but there was no flat area for the range. So we actually carved in flat shooting points like a staircase to build the range there. <laughs> I was thinking about it the other day and and I think when I when I started, you know, there was the Olympic range from 1980 in Lake Placid. There was a little range up in Anchorage. There was a range two military posts had ranges, Jericho and in Minnesota. And I think that was about it. So, I, you know, a total of four biathlon ranges in the country that were really full size. So a lot of club, club sized ranges, but <laughs> things have grown a lot since then. <laughs> Max, what were your progressions into different roles across the tenure there? You ultimately became president and CEO, but like anyone making their way through an organization, there was a pathway to the, the top of the organization. What were some of the other jobs that you held during your tenure? A year after I started, we hired Walter Pickler um, and then eventually Alga Shalna to be the national team coaches. And um, Walter uh, was from Ruppolding, Germany, and had a bronze medal from the 1984 Games. Algus had a gold medal from 84 Games. Um, but neither one of them spoke much English, and so they really needed uh, a manager and an assistant coach. And so just a year into my job with U.S. Biathlon, I became that assistant coach and manager for for Walter. And then later for Algus, we we moved the team into the newly opened training center in Lake Placid. And, you know, from that 
time through the 90s, I I was uh, really dedicated to the national team on a pretty much full-time basis. I uh, became program director in the summer of 94, I guess, after the Lillehammer games. But, you know, that didn't change uh too much. I still spent most of the winter with the national team, and um, I can remember going going to my first World Cups, and so exciting in in Ruppolding, Germany, where you know where Walter was from, and working really hard, just the two of us preparing the skis for the team, and Josh Thompson, who had won a, a silver medal in '87 uh, at the World Championships in Lake Placid, he finished second in the was it second or was it third uh, anyway on the podium uh in the individual competition in in Ruppolding I, I guess that was that was the winter of 92 but anyway it was a it was a very exciting um moment for us and and you know with that experience and then a few weeks later marching into the opening ceremonies in Albertville with the team and just feeling a part of a real global movement around sport. Um, and with the friends I had made already in just a year of being involved in international biathlon from all over the world, it really was a turning point for me. And it was the point at which um, I said, you know, I think I can make a difference here. And, um, and this international sport is something that's really exciting. And um, the U.S. biathlon team has the potential to be a lot better than we were. So that was that was kind of the moment when I really uh, I really caught the bug and uh, and stayed with it. Let me go back to a point and see if uh, there's some logic here. But one of your first roles was to work with Walter, to work with Algus. So you're getting an international experience right out of the shoot. You probably have to learn some language. and uh, But you're getting a different view. You're not getting an American view. You're getting really a global view of sport. Was that formative for you and what you you were to do later in your tenure? You know, it really was, Tom. And, and you know, at that time... T today, English is pretty much the common language, but at that time, the common language was German, and um, I had studied Spanish in school, so I <laughs> that didn't help me at all. Um, so I started learning German from from Walter, from Algus. Um, the <laughs> friends friends said I sounded like a Bavarian cowboy um, speaking. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke it, but uh, but it, it was it was great to see the sport through their eyes, and um, and that really did you know it helped the whole team to come to a different level there, and I think it you know obviously their network of friends I, I got introduced to their network of friends very quickly, and so I felt a part of this international biathlon family very early on. Um, and that's always stayed with me. And it's really, it's really part of what has kept me in the sport all these years. Let's fast forward to you taking over as the executive director. I think it was around 2006, maybe. Uh, was that right after the Olympics in Torino? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it was March of 2006, and we had just gone through a governance reform with the Olympic Committee or at the request of the Olympic Committee and had a new board. And I remember Larry Pugh um, was the new chairman of the board. 
and uh, we had a conversation and he called me and said, well, are you in? And I said, I'm in if you're in. He goes, I'm in if you're in. <laughs> and so that was it. We, uh, we started, <laughs> started fresh with, with a new board in 2006, and it was transformative for the organization. Um, we had had a, a World Cup up in Fort Kent. The Mainware Sports Center had really kicked into high gear, and Andy Shepard and Max Sanger and, you know, John Morton, the whole crew um, had really done a spectacular job up there. And we had a marvelous World Cup in Fort Kent with uh, you know over 12,000 people out to watch on the Saturday of the event and uh, had at that time I was the marketing director for US Biathlon although I was you know helping to put on the World Cup event cuz I had just finished at the Olympics in in Salt Lake and um and we got TD Bank uh on board and um in the the following year and they they ended up being a you know our main sponsor for 10 years um terrific work there and Bill Ryan was the chairman and CEO and very much the founder of of that uh bank and just kind of got the biathlon bug while we were at the World Cup in in 2004 they they were eager for us to um, move our headquarters to Maine, and so because um, that's where their their headquarters were, and and they liked the idea of an Olympic sport being based in Maine, and so we did that. Um, we uh, had a very um, I remember working with Larry on the high performance plan, and you know figuring out coaching for the team. And I'd been in touch with Per Nilsson, who had been a coach at the Maine Winter Sports Center and was back in Sweden coaching at one of their ski gymnasiums. And we really thought Per would be a good fit. He he had spent time in the US and the Swedish and, and American cultures are pretty close anyway. And so we <clears throat> reached out to Per and, and he roped in Mikael Lufgren, who had been a World Cup winner of uh, biathlon in 1993. And uh, the two of them, after saying no three times, finally said yes <laughs> and, and became our, our coaches starting in the, the spring of 2006. And, you know, I think that began a period that was really transformative for us. Uh, I remember Tim and Lowell, who were our top athletes at the time getting the training plan from pair and saying this is crazy this is twice what we've been doing and in fact it was but they said well what do we got to lose let's try it <laughs> and and you know by by 2010 tim was um, wearing the yellow bib going into uh, the games in vancouver and um, had had podium finishes, Lowell had taken massive steps forward, and the whole, whole organization had shifted forward. But I, I want to come back to one thing. I, I remember the, the first board meeting with Larry in charge, and he started the board meeting by saying, we are here for one reason and one reason only, and that is to support our athletes. That is to give them what they need to succeed in the sport. And um, that was a real defining moment for the organization. And uh, Larry was a, an amazing leader. He had led the VF Corp uh, before he retired in, in 94 um, and really set, set the tone for the whole organization going forward. And 
Um, so exciting to have Pear stay with us as long as he did. He, he continued to work for us in one form or another from 2006 to 2018, so a 12-year run. There are two things, Max, I want to explore about your tenure at U.S. Biathlon as the executive director and later the president and CEO. And the first one you touched on uh, a little bit ago that it, with the, the discussion on TD Bank as a sponsor, but this is a small sport amidst all these big Olympic giants. And somehow you've been able over time to really capture some great sponsors for U.S. Biathlon. TD Bank is a phenomenal example. Aaron's that you have right now is, is a partner that not only is putting cash into the team, but also building a training center in Wisconsin. Maloya uh, picking up a uniform deal that has made U.S. Biathlon look like one of the classiest teams out on the tour. But talk a little bit more about the importance of that and how you were able to leverage what little assets you had to really bring in some of these big sponsors. Yeah, you know, it's really a team effort, Tom. And um, I think the the wonderful thing about biathlon is when you get to see it at the international level, when you get to come to a World Cup or a World Championships and hear the crowd roar for every shot, it changes you in a way. And that's what we've seen in each case. You know, um, Aaron's, our, our current primary sponsor, and as you said, they just opened the Aaron's Nordic Center that includes a 20-point biathlon range, spectacular roller ski loop, lit trails with snowmaking. It's absolutely beautiful. The athletes were out there um, two weeks ago and christened the range. Um, I had the privilege of being with them. It was just marvelous. But, you know, they had no particular attraction to biathlon. And um, Paul Schomer, who grew up in Appleton, Wisconsin, saw an Aaron's snowblower in Antolz and sent a picture of it in a social media post uh, back to the company. And really that began a conversation with Stephen Ahrens, who at that time was uh, the head of marketing. And that blossomed into a sponsorship and um, just huge kudos to Paul for recognizing that. And it, it was this special mix of Aaron's growing their business in Europe and being a made in America brand in Europe and seeing that connection with biathlon. And then Stephen being willing to understand, you know, the visibility that we got on uh, European television and how big the events were and the opportunity to do activities, activations on site, autograph signings and these kinds of things with the athletes. That was really, um, really great to get that um, sponsorship going. And once it started and the family came to some events, they were, they fell in love with biathlon. And, and I think that's really the key for us, um, in attracting domestic sponsors is to get them to some of our big international events where they can see and feel the crowds of 20 and 30,000 there and understand how popular biathlon is and why it's so popular because it's so dramatic and spectacular. So that, you know, that that's one part of it. I think the the Maloya partnership was really special. Um, Maloya is a company based just outside of heartland of um, biathlon in, in Germany, Rupolding, and it's a small boutique, high end, very fashionable. Uh, 
outdoor clothing company. And, and they had really specialized at that point um, on ski mountaineering, but they were looking to expand into cross country. And Bernd Eisenbickler, our longtime high performance director, and before that ski technician, ended up sitting in an airport uh, gate area with the president and CEO of Maloya, and they struck up a conversation. They they had met each other once before, um, and struck up a conversation. And we had a a meeting with Peter in at Maloya, and within minutes we recognized how much similarities there were between U.S. Biathlon and Maloya from a culture standpoint and from a, a size standpoint. You know, we're both small organizations that are very dedicated to high performance, to doing things right um, with a good culture, but also maneuverable in a way that bigger companies and bigger organizations aren't. And so we really... Um, we really had a, a bromance, if you will, uh, right from the beginning. And um, that, you know, that partnership has really grown to one where we feel so well taken care of and appreciated by Maloya that, you know, we really become a part of the Maloya family in a way. And, and that's, that's really special. We, uh, we <laughs> had a meeting, a a little over a year ago um, to discuss extending the agreement and um, the sum total of the extension was me writing four more years on a piece of paper and uh, us signing it and putting the official stamp of Maloya on, on the document. So we, ha we have a fantastic relationship with them and I think they they really appreciate the character of our team and our organization. And, um, you know, for them, it was about, I think, supporting the underdogs and um, being a part of an opportunity to be with a team that was growing and struggling to find the podium. Uh, and I think they're, you know, they're very, very supportive of our efforts, but also just embracing sport for what it is, the challenge of it. And, you know, that ability of international athletes to inspire all of us to be more active. And I think that's, that really plays to the core of, you know, where Maloya is as a company. It's really well said, Max. I mean, it really does come down to those relationships and that family feel that 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 biathlon exudes. I, I, I want to jump over to the other point, and they, they kind of dovetail. As I look back on your career, one of the things that really stands out as a hallmark to me are the collaborative partnerships that you developed. Uh, you didn't sit there and run your national governing body in a vacuum. You actively engaged with the IBU, good or bad sometimes. You actively engaged with the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee to the point that you actually, as the head of this small winter sport, were heading the National Governing Body Council of both summer and winter NGBs. How important to you was collaboration and partnership with governance entities in sport to really move the U.S. Biathlon Association forward? Absolutely critical. You know, as a small sport, I recognized early on that we could not 
um, progress without close partnerships. And I had uh, the great opportunity to work closely with um, the U.S. Olympic Committee and now Olympic and Paralympic Committee over you know nearly my entire tenure. I can remember um, going out and meeting with Jim Page in the early 90s, who was then responsible for direct athlete support and eventually um, became the the head of uh, sport performance for the Olympic Committee. And we struck up a, a nice friendship early on in the 90s. And he appreciated, he, he came from, from Nordic Combined and had led the Nordic Combined team. Um, so he knew what it was to run a small sport. I, I really um, recognize that you know, our ability to succeed depended on gaining support from other organizations and in partnership with other organizations. And um, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee had, you know, a sports science program that we were able to um, participate with. They had the Olympic Training Center that provided great meals and lodging for our athletes. Um, and so we, you know, connected with both of those organizations, worked really closely with them when they started the high performance planning program and and creating a high performance plan for US biathlon that in the end I think really was inspiring for the Olympic Committee to see an organization as small as ours aspire to winning Olympic medals aspire to having athletes on the podium and bringing in um, the best coaches for our team from around the world. And I can remember a conversation with Chris Vidala, who was our contact at the USOPC shortly after we had had some strong performances in Torino at the 2006 games. And we talked about the importance of coaching. And he looked up at me and said, you know, Max, you go out and find the best coaches in the world for your team and we'll pay for it. And that was, you know, a moment when I really felt the partnership had grown to another level. You know, that engendered in me the idea that this needs to be a two-way partnership. This needs to be about all of us in the Olympic community, all of us sport leaders coming together and giving back to and helping to form um, the direction of the U.S. Olympic Committee and now U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. And so when I became um, CEO in 2006, I prioritized spending time with um, the council and showing up uh, for the meetings and being a part of committees and decision-making bodies where we're asked. And that engagement eventually grew into the chance to be the vice chair of the NGB council. And as you said, um, for four years, the chair. And yeah, it was... Uh, <laughs> Strange in a way that, um, you know, with all these massive and successful sports, swimming and track and field and hockey and figure skating, that someone from one of the smallest sports that had never yet won an Olympic medal um, was leading the council. But I think it grew organically out of my engagement over the years. And um, I'm proud of the work that we did together. There were a lot of challenges and still are a lot of challenges facing the Olympic and Paralympic sport community. Um, 
But by coming together, we were able to really move sport forward in America um, and do it together so that we had really a consensus um, from all the sport leaders in America about directional issues with with the growth of sport and development of sport. And it it was a very, um, I gave a lot and I got a lot. That's the way volunteerism is and and must be. Um, But I think it's on all of us as sport leaders to engage with our national organizations and our international organizations to help shape the future that we want. I know that I played an important role um, at the IBU during my time as chairman of the technical committee from 2010 to 2016, and then on the executive board from 2016 till uh, just a month ago. Biathlon has grown tremendously in its popularity, but it wasn't so long ago that we faced a real crisis in doping and in integrity. And I, I worked closely with the athletes during that crisis to ensure the voice of the athletes that they wanted clean sport, that they wanted integrity, that that voice came through loud and clear. And I'm so proud of the role that Lowell Bailey played as a member of the Athletes Committee at that pivotal time when we first heard about the the doping scandals in Russia and associated with the Sochi Games and how active he became with other athletes, with Martin Forcad, with Oleanar Bjorndalen, with Mikael Schlesinger, to make sure there was no question at the leadership level of IBU that the athletes expected IBU to act and that the athletes wanted clean sport and integrity and consequences when that didn't exist. And it was a real pivotal time for the IBU because, as you'll remember, when Tour de France went through its big doping scandal, you know, there were years when German broadcast wouldn't show Tour de France on on television. If that had been the case for biathlon, the direction of the IBU would have been dramatically different. It it would have changed everything in our sport. And we were able to avoid that and go through that crisis and come out stronger because the people came together and stood up for integrity, stood up for clean sport, and were unequivocal and unwavering in their demand for action from IBU. Let's explore that a little bit further, Max. So you were not only an advocate within the International Biathlon Union, but you have become one of the world's biggest watchdogs on doping in sport. You've made some great headway. There's been some great progress during your tenure, but it's a fight we all still need to battle. Uh, Expand a little bit more on how important this is for all of us in sport to be on top of clean sport. Integrity and clean sport is so fair play, so fundamental to sport. And if we lose that, if we if we don't guard that as something sacred, as something that is the fundamental foundation, then we risk sport becoming just entertainment, just a, a, a circus, if you will. And, and I think, you know, with every, with every crisis, there's an opportunity. And I'm so proud of, you know, not only the biathletes, but 
athletes from all over the world. You know, I think of Becky Scott, who was the leader of the WADA Athletes Committee during that turbulent time and, and what a hard road it was for her. But um, you know, she was an athlete who, who you know, eventually got upgraded from um, a bronze medal to a silver medal to a gold medal in the end, um, because the two women who finished ahead of her in 2002 in, in the games in Salt Lake um, eventually, you know, had to give up their medals because they were found to have doped. And um, so she knew it firsthand. And I think there was a, a pivotal time for global sport where that voice of the athletes really rose to a new level where it wasn't athletes just accepting whatever it was that was being brought forward from people in leadership positions, but actually getting involved and engaging and changing the dialogue and and standing up for, you know, fundamental right of athletes to have clean sport and integrity in their in their games and yeah i did i did get involved with um with athletes in that regard and stood up as a leader in sport for um this at this t- at that time when i really felt it was so important for us as sport leaders to take a position and to be strong and ensure that everybody heard from those who lead sport that integrity matters that doping is unacceptable that every athlete has a fundamental right to clean sport and fair play and we as the leaders of sport globally it's our obligation to deliver that to the athletes, and we need to do everything in our power to do it. I'm proud of that time. I'm, I, it, it took a lot out of me <laughs> in those years, um, and there were a lot of times when I felt uh, as a, a voice crying in the wilderness. But um, but in the end, we ended up in a really good place with IBU, and I think globally as well. I'm so impressed with what Sebco has done at athletics, where you know the the problems were as big as they were for a biathlon, um, maybe bigger. And, um, you know, the creation of the athletics integrity unit, and that was a governance structure that we at IBU copied from, uh, athletics. And we created the, um, biathlon integrity unit, which now leads, all aspects of integrity, including, um, you know, anti-doping efforts, but also safeguarding efforts and um, ensuring that the uh, implementation of rules around integrity of um, anti-doping rules isn't left to those who are leading the sport, but to a separate group that is more independent and can make those decisions without bias uh, in any way. And so I'm really proud of what we've achieved at um, IBU with the Biathlon Integrity Unit. And I think it, it sets a good model and a good standard for other international federations going forward. 
Well, I know you're going to continue the fight, Max, in your new role at the IBU. Let's move on to uh, what it's all about at the end of the day. And it's about the athletes and it's about helping them to achieve their dreams and goals. I know that you could probably go on forever and think back to the memories that you have of athletic accomplishments over your tenure. But what are some that really stand out to you that are important to you personally, but also really milestones within the organization of U.S. Biathlon? You're right, Tom. I could I could go on for quite a while about it. Um, you know, the, as I said, you know, seeing Josh Thompson early on in my career standing on the podium, and um, you know that inspired me and made me realize that you know when we when we give American biathletes good coaching and good service and everything they need to succeed, um, we can we can succeed at this sport. There was a, a time when we saw rampant doping in, in the sport in you know early 2000s all the way up till 2009 when you know there was this biosimilar EPO that um, was ravaging our sport and and you know Jim Carabray, um, the IBU head of the medical committee for IBU really worked hard to get his arms around that and ensure in a pioneering way, you know, ahead of ahead of his time that that biosimilar EPO was detected and and it resulted in a lot of disqualifications and suspensions for for athletes um and we came to find out that you know that had been a whole program within Russia but when we when we got past that that time it seemed that our sport became a lot cleaner and that our athletes had a much better chance. And that coincided also with years of Per Nielsen's great training program. You know, what we saw was uh, Tim Burke wearing the yellow bib in in 2010 and then in 2013 winning a silver medal at the World Championships and in 2017 seeing Lowell Bailey win you know, the first ever gold medal at a world championships by an American, you know, that that's a, a moment and a feeling that I will never forget. I had the opportunity to present the medal to him and uh, shook his hand and said, proudest moment of my life. And he looked right back at me and said, mine too. <laughs> and a couple of days later, there was Susan Dunkley on the podium at the world championships with a silver medal, you know, and then she backed that up with a second silver medal in, in 2020. And, you know, those, those podium moments are amazing and indelible and a sign of how hard the athletes worked and seeing all their great efforts coming to fruition and everything coming together on the right day for them. And it's so exciting. Biathlon is such a hard sport and it's so, so challenging to master these two disciplines and get everything to happen in the right way on the same day to be fast on your skis and perfect on the range. It's just amazing. And, you know, one of the things I really remember about Susan was she decided to become one of the fastest shooters in the world. After the 2016 season, she said, I'm so frustrated to pass the women on the course, come into the range in a pursuit or a mass start, and it takes me so long to hit my targets that the same women I just passed on the course, even if I shoot clean, they've all left the range ahead of me and I have to pass them again. And I am going to fix this. (laughs) 
as her her comment to her coach at the end of of that season and she went on to have be the fastest woman on the range for that next season in 2017. And she wasn't always hitting her targets, but when she did hit her targets and she was that fast and she was fast on her skis, the magic really happened for her. And, and just that story of a deliberate conscious effort to change her behavior, to push the envelope for her, to do something that she hadn't ever been able to do before. To me, that really captures the essence of what international sport at the highest level is all about. It's about this pioneering effort to do things that you didn't think you could do, to dare yourself to do the hardest things there are. And for her to go from one of the worst in terms of shooting speed on the range to first from worst to first in one season is a, is just such an inspiring story and, and one that I'll, I'll never forget. You've really hit on what I think is the essence of biathlon and what makes it so truly unique. The fact that there are these two completely different things. You can't find one coach to coach them both at that level. As an athlete, you've got to divide your time and training and preparation and your mental capacity. And that's what really makes biathlon the exciting sport that it is internationally. Yeah, absolutely. That drama on the range as, you know, the athletes try to that very, very fine balance of how hard can I push myself on the track and still be able to manage my range procedure and hit those targets. And, you know, the best athletes in the world, Tom, are they're arriving on the at, at the range and in 20 20 or 22 seconds, they're leaving again after having taken the rifle off their back, loaded it, gotten off five shots. And, you know, the best athletes are hitting five shots in six or seven seconds. It's it's amazing what they do. But of course, there's a lot of risk in that. And so even the best athletes in the world have days when it just doesn't go their way. And that's what creates that inherent drama of biathlon. And when you have, you know, head-to-head competitions like we have in the pursuit and the mass start and the relay, that's when the whole stadium just pulses with the athletes. And and that's what's so exciting and really gets in you about about biathlon and so dramatic and wonderful for for the athletes. And it's like no other sport in that way. And that translates well into television. It translates well in the stadium. And, you know, it's why we have crowds of, of 20 to 30,000 um, turning out year after year uh, to, to watch it. Let's go back and look at U.S. Biathlon as an organization and some of the things that you've done to help the athletes achieve this success. As you look back on on your tenure and even looking forward a little bit, what are some of the things that you did or some of the areas of focus to help make the organization better to, in turn, provide the athletes with the support they needed? As you alluded to earlier, um, you know, it was a real team effort and, and it was about partnerships. So I was a part of a bigger team, board members, uh, leaders like Andy Shepard and um, others in our sport community who came together to really make a difference for athletes. So I, I, you know, everything I'm going to talk about, I want to be clear that 
this wasn't me. This was the community doing these things together. And I was a part of that community and, and I'm proud of, of being able to be a part of it. But, you know, I, I think early on we recognized how important direct athlete support was because it was going to take our athletes years to become competitive. We weren't going to have, um, you know, someone graduating from high school or from college going out and in two years getting on the podium and, you know, starting to win massive amounts of prize money. Um, we were going to need to support athletes for five, six, seven, eight years before they were going to be able to reach the podium or reach the the level where they could win prize money. So direct athlete support has been a, a critical component of our program you know, from the beginning. And I'm really proud of us as an organization for taking the step to do a 50% increase in direct athlete support now. So our, our top athletes now get a stipend of $3,000 a month um, to um, train and, and compete and are eligible for another 15000 in U.S. biathlon-related performance support from their finishes at the World Cup and the World Championships. So that's been a critical element of keeping athletes in the sport for long enough to get world-class. You know, the other piece is just being open to bringing people from other cultures into our family to help us develop a world-class program. And, and they're you know, no one more important than Perrin Nilsson and Baron Dysenbickler. You know, Baron came on as our uh, high performance director in the spring of 2007 after having been with us for eight years, nine years as a, as a ski technician. Um, and he came in with an energy and a vision and just great leadership skills um, to work collaboratively with pair with the athletes to really build out a world-class program. And I am proud of the great relationship that we had at professional level and at a personal level, but at a professional level where, you know, I could really um, empower him to lead the team and that organization in the way that made sense. And, you know, we had always great meetings and great conversations, but I knew he had the passion to deliver for our athletes an amazing high performance program. And, and in the end, he, he did just that. And it was a great, great partnership. I think, you know, beyond that, um, I'm proud of the way we've worked together with our clubs, particularly over the last few years, to really help foster the development of more clubs. From a broad strategic point of view, we had the vision that the best way to grow the sport in America was to have a strong American team and to have good opportunities for Americans to see the sport, whether that was streaming it online or seeing it on NBC um, or you know later on the Olympic Channel. But those two things we really prioritized through 2018. And we had that success with Tim's silver medal in 2013, exciting everyone going into um, the games in Sochi. Susan Dunkley was you know, a split bullet away from a silver medal in Sochi. Lowell Bailey 
missed that bronze medal in the individual in Sochi just by one shot as well. So we were right there, right on the cusp. And that captured some national attention and media and also captured the attention of the cross-country community because, you know, cross-country had been having a lot of success and there we were sort of shoulder to shoulder also having being right on the cusp of that breakthrough success. And and when it finally came in 2017, I think that was a, a breakthrough moment with you know Lowell's medal and Susan's medal, um, where the whole Nordic community in America could see, not only are we succeeding now in cross-country skiing, but we are in biathlon too. And that ignited a lot of enthusiasm for the sport, got more young athletes involved, got more cross-country programs to look at being inclusive of biathlon. And really set in motion another level of development um, that has happened. So it was our plan after 2018, after that season, to start having more of a development emphasis. And so um, Tim and Lowell retired. We hired Tim to um, be our, at that time, I think we said uh, manager of uh, athlete development. And he got busy working with the clubs and, you know, we saw relatively quickly um, the effect of his work with the junior athletes and with the clubs to grow that program. And we started seeing success at the, at the junior level. Maxime Germain uh, had a, a medal at the um, world championships in 2019, just a year after Tim um, got involved. And so we, we started that effort to be a more balanced national organization where we weren't You know, before 2018, we were really focused on high performance. And after 2018, we became a balanced organization where we started to take responsibility for athlete development, not just rely on our clubs to do that, but actually dedicate manpower to do it. And as we look now to the future, we've just finished developing what we're calling our 2030 plan, which is a plan to contribute to Team USA winning the medal count. Um, in the winter games in 2030. And, you know, our, our goal is to win four medals, uh, in, in 2030 there. And we have put in place a, a really three pronged approach. The first is continue to develop our high performance program. Take nothing away from that. We want to win our first Olympic medal in Antolts, Italy in um, 2026. We want to continue to develop and support our athletes in a world-class way and not, not to have any ground gone there. But Um, on the side of athlete development to grow and expand our clubs. We've targeted growth of 24 more clubs in the United States. And at the same time, to have a dedicated approach to identification and recruitment of athletes to come into the sport, cross-country skiers coming out of high school, coming out of college, who want to try biathlon, will now have a place in our X-team program based in Lake Placid with a dedicated coach there uh, to bring them forward starting next summer. And 
to enable those two, that two-pronged effort, we've just hired John Farah. Um, and John is a 1992 cross-country Olympian who went on to uh, coach at the University of Utah, where he went to school, also to lead the U.S. ski team Nordic program where he had great success, especially in Nordic combined and really laid the groundwork for the future success that they've had, went on to run um, para Nordic um, for the USOPC in a very successful way. And um, most recently, he was at uh, USA Triathlon as their high performance director. But along the way there, he spent um, a number of years working at the Maine Winter Sports Center and led their effort for community engagement. So he has that biathlon background. His daughter is a biathlete um, and he lives in, in the Heber Valley in Utah. So he's got a biathlon range in his backyard, so to speak. And we're so excited to have John on board for the person he is and the sport background he brings, the enthusiasm he has, but also because it really fulfills our vision of having a balanced organization where we have, you know, Lowell completely dedicated to the high performance program and Tim working closely with the high performance program from a training standpoint, but also developing the young athletes, the junior program. So he's head of athlete development. And then John as our director of sport development, working incredibly closely with Tim to ensure the two-pronged approach, growth of our clubs across the country to have more organic opportunities for cross-country skiers to discover biathlon and for biathlon clubs to grow, and then opportunities for cross-country skiers who are later in their career, in their 20s, um, to get into the sport with a dedicated coach and a program to fast-track their engagement the same way Susan Dunkley had that opportunity. But instead of Susan doing it nearly alone, there'll be a team of six or eight with a dedicated coach to make it happen. You know, I love the fact that you have embarked on this strategic planning, and I think uh, if you are a follower of U.S. Biathlon, you're going to be hearing a lot more about this moving forward. But I want to shift gears, and Max, in less than 24 hours, you're going to be walking into an office in Salzburg, Austria, and every set of eyes is going to be looking to you as their new leader. What, what message will you give to your IBU team when you take over your new role as Secretary General tomorrow? <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Tom. I'm I'm really excited about that. And, you know, I, I had a chance to um, speak to the staff just after the Congress, and, and I really emphasized one um, thing with everybody. I said, you know, we're going to work incredibly hard um, because we all should be inspired by our athletes, how hard they're working to be the best in the world. We need to match that effort to deliver for them an amazing um, sport environment. And, but I said, it's so important for us to find joy in the effort, just the way the athletes do. And I think that as we, you know, look to the future for us by, or for a, the International Biathlon Union, um, we really have some tremendous opportunities there to grow the, visibility of the sport from a relatively, you know, incredibly dedicated group of fans, but a relatively uh, niche um, 
part of the world. Northern Europe and Scandinavia and Russia were incredibly popular. Um, but everybody who sees it can can appreciate it. And so we really have an opportunity to, to expand the visibility and expand our reach and grow there. And I think as a, as a staff, we need to embrace that. And a number of programs going on um, that look to that. Um, right now, we have the newly founded IBU Academy, which is dedicated to coach education and to helping programs around the world become better, more competent, better able to deliver for um, the great athletes in their own countries so that we can continue this great tradition of, you know, 15 different nations um, having success in, in biathlon or, or more, I hope more. You know the other the other kind of constant thing that we face as a winter sport is uh, the challenges of climate change, and we need to um, use our platform to be a good example of how we um, can have a, a smaller carbon footprint. Um, and I, you know, I'm really proud of the efforts that IBU has made over the years to embrace that challenge. Um, we just got a, um, great grant from the European community of 400,000 euros to look at ways to have the most efficient and lowest carbon um, footprint of snow farming efforts. And it's so important for us to make sure that the millions of fans who watch biathlon are inspired to make a difference in their lives, make a difference in their communities, make a difference at the local level. Um, and for us to carry that message out into the community. And I think that the athletes will be great partners in, in doing that. The athletes care deeply about the environment and obviously about winter continuing, um, and stemming the tide of, of climate change. So looking forward, um, to that as well. I think there's, there's, um, you know, opportunities for us to be more collaborative with our international federations too. And um, I think that's, that is an area where we can really inspire the international federations, share learnings to the international federations and, and very much the same um, philosophy that I had working together with all the national governing bodies around the country where, you know, we learn so much when we take the time to speak with one another. Um, we inspire each other. We, we hear stories of, of success and struggle that help us in our own jobs. And we can do that same thing with the national federations um, in the biathlon community. And I'm really looking forward to that. But in one word, Tom, positivity. Positivity is is what I'm going to bring to the office on Monday. Um, that's been a defining approach for me during my years at U.S. Biathlon. Sport is a celebration. It's a celebration of humanity. And that needs to excite us. That needs to be the fire in our belly every morning and bring us to work with um, a very... Uh, engaged and positive outlook that we're making the world a better place through what we're doing.
Really well said, Max. And I think you and I have always aligned on that word positivity. Uh, while you're over at IBU and you're leading the charge worldwide, U.S. Biathlon will be continuing. And you have left the organization in a great position for a transition. Can you give folks a, a sense of where things will go operationally for U.S. Biathlon with your departure? You know, I honestly said I wouldn't leave if I didn't think U.S. Biathlon was in a great place. I dedicated 33 years of my life to to the organization, and I definitely wouldn't leave if I didn't believe it was in a great position to prosper and thrive going forward and that the athletes were going to be well taken care of. So, um, you know, I'm so pleased that we were able to hire John Farah that kind of completed the 2030 staffing that we needed to have. Um, we've got great national team coach in Armin Alcantaler, um, and he's well supported by our team general manager, Federico Fontana. Um, and we have a great team of ski technicians who will make sure the athletes get fast skis under their feet. You know, Tim's leadership on the athlete development side and Lowell's leadership at the high performance side will go on as as planned. Sarah Studebaker Hall, tremendous organizational work as the head of our operational side, our, our director of operations. Um, and, and we've been able to get Jack Gerhardt, who is a gentleman who has, um, you know, more than a decade of experience working in Olympic sport as a, as a leader at, um, us sailing and late, most recently as interim leader at us fencing. Um, Jack's a guy I've known for a long, long time, a very good friend. Um, and I'm so pleased that he has taken the opportunity to serve as our interim. I can see already that he's understood the amazing staff and athletes that we have in our sport. And he's really uh, excited by the chance to work with this group going forward. And, and that makes me so so happy. So I know that he will give Tim and Lowell and Sarah and John the support they need to carry out their duties and make sure that U.S. Biathlon goes forward without any uh, bumps in the road. And I'm I'm so happy to have someone I know so well um, stepping into that role because it, it'll just make conversations that I know we'll have to have uh, as the winter goes on um, that much easier. And um, we have a we have a good a good friendship, and I know we'll be in touch a lot. But um, full confidence in Jack's ability to um, keep the organization on track, support the staff, and I think the athletes are demonstrating really, really great performance. We just finished the trials in Utah and saw some magnificent performances there. So super excited to um, see what the athletes can do this winter and um, how much they've been able to progress. A telltale, I think, uh, I was with Jack the other day, and he had just concluded his first day engaging with biathletes, with coaches, with other administrative officials, with parents, and so forth. And the first thing he said to me is, is everyone this friendly and engaging? That really is the nature of the biathlon family, isn't it? It really is, Tom. And, and that's what's, you know, that's what's kept me, kept me going. There's a humility that the sport brings to everyone involved because nobody's great every day. Most people aren't even great half of the days. And so as an athlete, you remain humble um, and you really appreciate that 
day when everything comes together, whether it's for you or it's for your competitor or your teammate, you really celebrate when that perfect day happens because it's rare and it's super challenging. One last thing. We've been talking about the biathlon family, but you have your own family at home uh, with you in Vermont, and they have been patiently standing behind you as you have been going around the globe these last 30-some years, and now you're embarking on another adventure. And Why don't you just tell us about the importance of that support from your own family? Yeah, you know, you're so right. And um, my wife, Rosemary, is an angel. Um, And, you know, she's a very passionate uh, cross-country skier and is responsible for the Mansfield Nordic uh, Youth Cross-Country Ski Program as um, quasi-volunteer. She she gets a little bit of uh, support to organize that, but she's got around 100 um, young skiers, and she organizes a dozen coaches to um, manage that there. So, you know, our, our whole family grew up cross-country skiing, and um, it was actually my son, Tim, um, who I think was 12 at the time, was watching the Olympics in Sochi in 2014. And he looked over um, to Rosemary and said, this is the coolest thing. I have to do this sport. <laughs> and um, and from that time on, he became a, a cross-country skier and a biathlete. And my daughter, Virginia, um, caught the bug too. So, um, you know, they're, they know what it is that I'm doing and and why it is that I'm so passionate about it. And, you know, I think that's really helped them understand, uh, yeah, my my desire to serve the sport um, in this way as the secretary general at the IBU. And, you know, even before that, I, I traveled a ton for the IBU and the various roles that I have and for U.S. Biathlon. And, um, you know, I think Rosemary really uh, deserves so much credit for bringing our kids up in a great, great environment and um, being willing to put up with my long absences. Um, so it's uh, a little bit of a change here now. My daughter, Virginia, has two more years of, uh, of high school left. So um, Rosemary and Virginia will remain here in Vermont. And um, I'll be jumping back over the ocean um, one week a month when I can make that work. And having them um, come over to uh, Salzburg and Europe um, from time to time as we're able to make that work for the next couple of years. You know, I, I was reflecting on the fact just yesterday, Tom, that I'm leaving biathlon, I'm leaving U.S. biathlon as the president and CEO, but I'm remaining as a parent. And um, so I'm now joining the ranks of biath- U.S. biathlon parents, and I'll be up in Anchorage, Alaska for the Youth and Junior World Team Trials, um, enjoying that opportunity to uh, to continue to see the sport through my children's eyes and um, be there as a parent to support um, not only my kids, but all the young athletes who are going to be up there trying out. Well, we know you will always be a fan, and we appreciate you taking this time today on your uh, the eve, not the eve, the day of your departure for Salzburg. I want to wrap it up with our on-target segment. Just a few quick, short questions to wrap things up before we send you off to the airport. And the one question I love to ask everyone, and most of them have pretty much the same answer, but have you developed over the years a favorite biathlon venue? Oh, 
now now you're putting me on the spot in a way that I'm not sure I'm supposed to be <laughs> at this time. But, you know, um, I've always, I, I grew up, you know, in an area of the country that didn't have a lot of really high mountains. You know, Mount Washington is the highest mountain in New England and 6,000 feet. Um, and so I've always been inspired by really high mountains. And in that regard, and, um, you know, for the beautiful scenery and magnificent event organization, which I have to say is at, at every IBU World Cup, but Untold's has a special place for me. And, and um, you know, all the all the World Cup venues are are special in their own way, but for me, Untold's feels like a cathedral um, for biathlon, and I I I never I never tire of getting back there, and it's going to be so much fun to see the Olympics um, coming to Untold's in 2026. Uh, so, looking forward to that. Yeah, there are so many choices, but Anholtz does tend, tend to rule here. Um, here's another one that'll put you on the spot. If you look back in your career, do you have one magical moment that really stands out? And maybe it's an athletic success. Maybe it's something you achieved organizationally. Maybe it's a conversation with a leader. Uh, but is there one magical moment that stands out for you? Yeah, you know, it 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 comes back to... Um, 2017 and you know, watching Lowell go into, um, he had, he had been number 100. So he was nearly the last starter in, in the race that day in the individual competition. And he went into the final shooting stage and I was out on the course, um, there, you know, I was there not in an IBU capacity, but, um, with us biathlon and, and I was near a, a big screen um, out that was out on the course. And I can remember putting my arm around uh, Christian Steeler, who's a, a ski technician, longtime ski technician for us um, from Germany. And the two of us kneeling down just with fingers crossed, breath held as Lowell got into position. And then they're going, come on, Lowell, come on, Lowell. With each, with each target he hit, come on, Lowell, come on, Lowell. And, uh, and when he hit the, you know, the fifth target there, just that feeling of elation, like, oh, oh my, he, he's got a medal. He might have a world championship medal and, and still they might have a gold and still today that brings goosebumps that moment. Yeah. I, I, all of us who work in sport know that feeling and it doesn't come very often. So when you have it, cherish it because it, it's what we all do this for. I'll lighten it up now. You've been to Salzburg enough. It's going to be your home now, but you've been there enough over the years. But do you have a favorite restaurant in Salzburg? <laughs> yeah, you know, there's this great place we go to a lot that uh, um, it's it's called a hurigan, and that means sort of um, an outdoor courtyard restaurant, um, and it's at Freisacher. It's actually a little bit outside. It's in Anif, which is the town right next to Salzburg, and and uh, it's it's just a 
wonderful atmosphere there and the opportunity to sit outside in the spring, summer, and fall um, and enjoy, you know, a nice Wiener schnitzel or uh, a, a cold beer with um, biathlon friends. That's that's a place that's really uh, got a lot of a lot of nice memories f- for me there. We always used to make a point of bringing the technical committee there and and have had a number of executive board dinners there as well. So that's a special place. Very very informal and low-key, but just wonderful. Salzburg is a is a fairy tale town. Um, and you know, I hope I hope people will find an, a reason, Biathlon fans find a reason to look me up there um, to come see our offices. There it's a pretty inspiring office as well as a really inspiring part of the world. So um, if you haven't discovered Salzburg, come and come and see it. It's uh, it's wonderful and I'm I'm looking forward to exploring more restaurants there. Well, Max, I was looking at tickets last night, so don't worry. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be there. One one wrap up question, and this is always a tough one for people. But if you think back at your time with the U.S. Biathlon family, can you come up with one word to describe that relationship with the U.S. Biathlon family? You know, Tom, I I think it comes back to what we were talking about earlier that positivity. You know, and and I felt that way really for 33 years that the opportunity to work in a sport that I love with people I respect has engendered in me this really positive feeling and and that you know motivation every day um to bring sport forward and what a privilege it is to be able to work in national sport in global sport and you know help help bring it forward. It's not always easy. It is, it is a struggle, especially in, in America where we need to, you know, do a lot of fundraising where, um, you know, it's, it's challenging to bring biathlon forward in, in this country because our visibility isn't what it is in Europe, but that I've always felt positive about it every day for the last 33 years, even in in the days when things were really, really hard. There was always a sense that this, while it's a struggle, it's one that has great meaning. And that positivity has been, you know, is, is something I feel from the biathlon community and what really has kept me, kept me going, sustained me for these 33 years. Well, Max Cobb, we thank you for taking time on the way to the airport, literally, to head to your new role as the Secretary General of the IBU. Thank you for joining us here on Heartbeat. And I think I speak on behalf of the entire U.S. biathlon family that we thank you for your leadership. But more than anything, what we cherish is your friendship. Thank you, Max. Thanks, Tom. It's been a pleasure. And uh, don't be a stranger. Looking forward to seeing you at some IBU biathlon World Cups and World Championships. I will see you in Anholz this year. Max Cobb, the longtime leader of U.S. Biathlon, heading off on a new adventure with the International Biathlon Union. Thank you, Max, for joining us on Heartbeat and for all you've done to enrich Olympic and Paralympic sport in America. We know you'll be wearing the IBU colors, but deep down, you will always be our biggest U.S. Biathlon fan. We hope that you're all enjoying Heartbeat as we tell the stories of biathlon. You can help us by sharing the link to Heartbeat on your own social media channels and also telling your friends to listen in. 
And if you missed it earlier, check out episode one, which featured U.S. Biathlon's Sarah Studebaker-Hall and talking about the rising role of women in key biathlon officiating roles. Remember to subscribe to Heartbeat to get every episode delivered directly to you and leave us a review if you can. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. Thanks for listening to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon podcast.